Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I am Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. I'm here as always with my long-standing friend and co-host, the Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Good to be with you, Todd. Good to be with you, Carl. Great to see you again on this uh, wonderful day. You know, it's always a great day, Carl, when I get to see you. Uh, likewise, likewise. It's good to see you through a screen, though, rather than in person. Keeps a, much a nice, better. A nice distance. Much better. Yeah, yeah. There's no. There's no temptation. There's no awkward moments. Like if I reach out to hug you or anything like that, we don't have to bother with any of that when we're doing we this uh, remotely. Yeah. Any, so any, thing. any updates on the magnum opus on baptism that uh, you've been writing no, for the last two decades? Carl, no, 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 no. Nothing like that. I, I, um, what I have found about writing is that. Um, I've, I've gotten to where I can write a pretty good sentence. What is much more challenging is writing a whole series of really good paragraphs that you can somehow manage into a book. Now, that's the challenge. Right? That's true. That's true. You've got that, that inner Hemingway perfectionism coming <laughs> yes, through. Yeah. Well, and, and plus, the other thing I found is um, writing something good takes a long time. Um, like you actually have to to sit and be committed to doing things like writing a thousand decent words every day over a long period of time and that you sort do. of thing. That's the, so it yeah. requires discipline. Yeah, is what Hemingway, I'm trying to get Hemingway did that apparently. Yeah, worked yeah. a certain number of words every day. And uh, my friend Alexandra de Sanctis told me that uh, Hemingway would also finish his day's writing mid sentence, which I thought was particularly nice. interesting as a way of uh, triggering him for the next day's creativity. Not bad. Okay. Well, may maybe I'll maybe I'll try that. Yeah. He also <laughs> drank an awful lot of martinis. Maybe that helps with the uh, the literary production. Yeah, that's probably true. It may not be good, but it certainly seems good as you write it and read it. Uh, that's right. So. Anyway, it's a great pleasure today to have a special guest. Don't think uh, this gentleman has been on the podcast before. Uh, he was for 18 years professor of politics at the King's College in New York City. But more recently, he's taken a call to be associate pastor at Calvin Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. It is, of course, David Innes, well known probably to many of our readers as a commentator and writer on uh, cultural issues, particularly from a political uh, perspective. Uh, welcome to the program, David. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. And we're here specifically to talk about uh, the political Christian relative to a conference that is coming up in September, actually September the 29th to the 30th, uh, the Prince George's Conference on Reform Theology that's going to be dealing with this issue of how the Christian uh, should interact with the political environment. We live in very 
polarized, very contentious times. Uh, we live at times where it can be very, very difficult to uh, discern where the political truth lies on a whole host of debates. You know, we're way beyond, I think, in Western culture, debating what the basic rate of income tax should be. We're now facing very, very substantial moral questions everywhere we turn. So it's lovely to have you on as a guest, David, and hoping that you can shed some, some light on this for us. But perhaps, first of all, give us some of your own background on how did you get interested as a Christian in political science? Uh, well, I didn't get interested in political science as a Christian. I got interested in political science as an as a, a, a unchurched sixteen year old oh, boy. Okay, and, and it just struck me that, that that there was a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and and I was raised Canadian, and Canada was going in the wrong direction, and that's not <laughs> the way people should live. And these people over here, they had the right idea. So on I went and and studied, but and that became in university political philosophy, more fundamental questions. And uh, at some point, I thought, well, I'm reading the great books. Um, the Bible is a great book. I want to be an educated person. Educated people mm -hmm. know the Bible. I should know the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible. Eventually started going to church because people should go to church. <laughs> and that, that would include me, right? And uh, and the Lord took me the rest of the way. Wow. Hmm. I, Carl alluded to this just a second ago, David, but um, there's a sense in which I... I, I I was raised in a very politically conscious household. I remember as a child, um, lots of political discussions at the dinner table, and I would listen to my mom and dad, you know, go on and on about the various issues going on. I remember really particularly getting interested when I was eight or nine years old and the um, uh, and Jimmy Carter was running for president against Gerald Ford uh, for his first term. And and, you know, at that time. Yes, the, the, the abortion issue was starting to come into the evangelical consciousness through the work of people like Francis Schaeffer and later on uh, Evercoop. That was go that was still yet to come. But for the most part, what what separated us politically in this country were important issues, things like taxes and uh, various kinds of domestic policy and welfare policy foreign policy, those kinds of things. Um, but issues that much of which, though we had good reason to debate them and disagree, we could we could be charitable enough to say that that Christians of good conscience could could disagree on some of those issues. Debate, yes. Um, uh, be serious about those, yes. But but you know, we, we could reasonably disagree with with other Christians on some of those issues. The landscape, as, as Carl alluded to a minute ago, has changed dramatically, rather quickly um, to where I, I, I think the way I explained it to somebody in my church the other day was, you know, the debate was always, you know, how how far should the church kind of encroach into political territory? Well, now we have the issue where the state has been encroaching into our territory. I mean, when you get into the, you know, the transgender issue, things that Truman's been writing about quite a lot, you know, you're getting into uh, metaphysical issues, theological issues, um, clearly moral issues. And so suddenly I think the church is kind of scrambling to figure out, particularly those of us that come from a reformed issue, you know, certain branches of the church have been politically engaged. Uh, liberals have been politically engaged for over a hundred years, but, but those of us who are reformed, you know, we've been much more circumspect in this over time, but in a, in a lot of ways, we're having to, to rethink now what that should look like precisely because of how much things have changed. What are you seeing in that regard? 
It's interesting, this question, should Christians be engaged in politics? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that just stuns me yeah. uh, because we're, we are human beings and human mm-hmm. beings, the Lord made us for community with one another, for a shared life. And that involves civic community. And, and the Lord has given us the blessing of popular government, constitutional mm-hmm. government. We don't live under a liege Lord where you just have to, you know, obey and dissent if they tell you to sin. This was Luther and Tyndale's advice, um, obey. Mm-hmm. But um, no, we have the privilege of taking a hand in the direction of our civic community. Yeah. Uh, and there's this this question among us, should Christians be involved in politics? Should we be engaged in politics? And it's interesting because you, you said in the uh, Carter and pre-Carter days, there was, you know, obvious divisions over you know, how to do things, but uh, it wasn't the sort of polarization that Carl mentioned that we see today. Fundamental polarization over what a human being is. Mm-hmm. The uh, and and I understand the the concern. Uh, it go, but it goes back to the nineteen seventies. Um, the culture war began in the 1970s and it's the reaction against the culture war i think that is turning certain evangelicals off of politics right Uh, but but we didn't start the culture war right the culture war began with the 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 progressive revolution the sexual revolution and so you had anita bryant and mm-hmm. Phyllis Schlafly and Jerry Paul on the moral majority. That was that was a lot of that was responding to uh, uh, gay lib, as they called it, women's yeah. lib, as they called it, and and abortion. Eventually, we're a little late on abortion, mm-hmm. but but it was there, and uh, and and we lost, and we lost, and we lost, and uh, people came to associate evangelicals with political conservatism yeah. and so people have some people have backed off because it it they find it has obscured the gospel um, mm-hmm. they want to preach the gospel without that noise but uh but pers- the, the polarization is precisely because these questions pertain to fundamental metaphysical cosmological issues that profoundly impact people's well-being, the church's ability to be the church, Christians' ability to raise their children in uh, mm-hmm. to be godly, productive people. And, uh, and and then concern not only for your children and your church, but your neighbors as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, this is not something we can just set aside as politics. Right. Any more yeah. than in, 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 uh, 150 years ago, we could just set aside abolitionism. Mm-hmm. You can imagine somebody saying, well, I don't want, uh, you know, the gospel to be obscured by this political question. No, you have to take a stand against this evil. For the church, for, the, for your children, for your own sake and for your neighbor's sake and for God's glory's sake. So it's precisely because it's it's so po- polarizing. Uh, that is, it's polarizing because it's fundamental. And it's because it's fundamental. Christians need to address it. Yeah. It's 80 years, of course, this year since C.S. Lewis gave the three lectures that became his little book, The Abolition of Man. 
And I think what Lewis puts his finger on there in a very, very prophetic way, I mean, it's remarkable that he did this in 1943, is that the big rising questions of the modern age are precisely those anthropological questions that go to the heart of what does it mean to be a human being? And there's a sense in which, you know, important debates about rates of income tax, et cetera, et cetera. These are not debates ultimately about what it means to be a human being. They're debates about the details of you know, social organization, for want of a, a better term. So I think you, you put your finger on something very important there, David. And that, of course, means that the church has to take a stand on that level because it's like the debate over slavery. The debate about slavery is ultimately a debate about what is a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, the debates today about sexuality and gender are debates about what is it to be a human being and what it means to be a human being. That is the business of the church mm-hmm. uh, in a very, very significant way. Well, and when the, get- as, the, as the questions become fundamental, uh, they become very dangerous. Think of the most fundamental question god is the creator we are the creation so we are for him you mess that up you get that backwards and you get horrible oppression horrible misery uh monstrosity um mm. you get sin and yeah. uh you 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 mix up what is a human being and you get the same thing monstrosity and oppression and suffering because it's radically because it's a fundamental question it's radically contrary to god's created order yeah and that's where misery comes from yeah, yeah. and we run I mean, into questions then about well we're obligated to love our neighbor and these movements as Carl has pointed out so much in his work lately, the obvious of these things are destroying our neighbor. Aren't we obligated to love our neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they turn our neighbors into things at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. I think when you lose sight of human beings as as God's creation, you lose sight of human beings as persons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oddly, I was was just reading, wrapping up this book on critical theory. It's one of the things that the critical theorists in the 30s and 40s kind of get right. Uh, their, their reasoning is all wrong, but but one of the things they see in modernity that's a real problem is human beings become things, mm-hmm. and then they make you know it, it becomes easy then, for example, to have the Holocaust because if you start thinking about human beings as things, you can start thinking about Jews as just uh, an inferior kind of thing that you can dispose of as as you so wish, and I think mm-hmm. that's. That's fundamental. Where it gets tricky, though, David, I wonder if you've got any insights on this. And I mean, you know my my opinions on this because you, you. I remember you you critically reviewed my book Republicrat um, in, in a very <laughs> so friendly, but so very friendly I. and very critical way. But what was so the, long ago? <laughs> yeah, it's so much better is, now. The world has changed significantly since then. True. But one of the things that I wanted to draw out in that book was, uh, you know, political thinking is always complicated. We're, we're a mass of political ideas. Voting is, is very black and white. You, 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 you put your cross next to one guy or the other guy. And there's always some huge trade-off. And one of the things that I've always been very concerned and wary about, particularly in American Christianity, is the way in which certain Christian leaders uh, are very keen to opine on how Christians should vote in a partisan way, which worries me from the perspective of you start to make a particular, voting for a particular party, whether it's left or right, uh, obedience and not voting for them an act of sin. And I'm very, very concerned about that. What do you think in, in, in our current climate, 
David. How should a pastor negotiate the issue? Okay, he wants his people to go into the voting booth and vote in accordance with a formed Christian character and in accordance with a Christian conscience. On the other hand, I don't want the church to be starting to say to people, you need to vote for this candidate and not that candidate. That strikes me as beginning to step outside of the bounds of church power. Do you agree with me? And if you agree with me, how would you, as a, as a pastor now, you're going to be preaching up to the next election. How do you think about that as you enter the pulpit? Well, I was a pastor uh, before I was a professor out in Iowa and then 18 years a professor, and now I'm a pastor again. And then as now, uh, I take the approach that uh, you preach the 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 fundamentals you you preach uh god's creation and god's gospel you 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 preach uh uh the the Christ, fundamental christian principles and the details of christian principles and if you do that uh, you leave people to their their christian wisdom in all the decisions of life uh, perhaps this 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 automobile is a is is, is a horrible choice it's it's mechanically inferior it's ugly uh, and, and so forth uh, but people can choose these things now choosing a, a somebody who governs you is a much more serious matter but it's still left something left to uh, christian prudence now the answer may be obvious at one time or another uh, this is the party of death uh, they they all advocate abortion and 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 uh, gender hoo-ha on your five-year-olds and, and and so forth and so on this part our other party has its problems but not like those problems this party wants to shut down the church and silence it that party won't right now uh so but you don't come out and say that in the pulpit if your people are taught well if they're maturing in christ if they're maturing in their christian understanding of the world they can do this themselves so so you you would you would never say that from the pulpit you might you might mention it in private conversation um if it comes up well this is my opinion uh mm -hmm. but not in the pulpit um yeah. and you don't leave leaflets by the front door of the church to that effect either mm -hmm. uh you, if you are if you are if you are maturing your people in christ if you are teaching them so that god is maturing them in christ everything will proceed yeah, yeah. so I, I i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more i i, I be, and, and we're pressed on this issue. I mean, you know, th th this is unique. What we're what we're dealing with now is is unique. And you're absolutely right in in terms of your um, uh, description of of the choices we have, the realistic choices we have in terms of the two parties. Um, we we have a choice between a party that is uh, imperfect and flawed, and another party that positively champions and fights for all the very worst things that are happening in our culture. Um, and I'm happy to say that to people in conversations. Um, uh, but, but then we also, uh, know that on the, on the Lord's day, uh, we, we are there to, uh, preach the word, administer the sacraments. And as we preach, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been amazed, uh, continually at, at, at the, the continuing relevance of scripture to what's going on in our world today. The, the more I look into first century issues, whether it's in Thessalonica or Rome or, or whatever, I'm amazed at how, um, how little mankind has changed. And, uh, and I, and I've, I, I think your assessment is right is if, if, if we're faithful to the word, um, 
uh, on Sunday, that's going to go a long way in, in giving our people guidance in, in terms of some of the practical application of how we think about who should be serving in civic, you know, civil yeah, the, office. The challenge for the pastor, though, is the pastor is also, like the rest of us, set in a society with political assumptions, yeah. political, uh, political pressures, and this pastor may be so caught up in his uh, as political principles mm -hmm. that he lets them govern his reading of scripture. This right. other pastor may be so caught up in wanting to be uh, viewed as as unthreatening and mm -hmm. as as morally acceptable in in the society um, that that colors his presentation. Yeah, yeah he never gives proper application to help his people because every pastor is is uh, is serving people who are saying help me you know pastor um help me think through these things biblically help me help me i mean i'm asked um not as much anymore because the 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 things the issues have become so clear and so polarized but i've been asked um help me think about how to vote i've been asked that and that's a you know that's a sobering question but what but what's interesting is I'm hardly ever asked that anymore. I was asked that 10 years ago. I'm hardly ever asked that anymore. Yeah, no, because I've just become, on paper at least, an American citizen. Uh -huh. Unfortunately means I have the right to vote. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm facing this dilemma next year for the first time uh, ever. My yeah. wife is much more gung-ho on who she's going to vote for than I am. Uh, yeah. As you I know, like Katrina. I like it's Katrina. Funny. When, when we got married, she was way to my left, and I was a—I felt I was kind of centrist. Yeah. Now she's way to my right, and <laughs> I still feel I'm kind of a centrist. I haven't—I haven't moved very much. Mm -hmm. But she's been radicalized by the what she would see as the attack on children more than anything else. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, same as my grandfather, who's a lifelong socialist and Labour Party voter, actually in the latter years of his life voted conservative because he felt the left had betrayed the left had left the, the economically poor yeah. for the sake of what he regarded as the, the the boutique interests of wealthy middle class people, which we would now see as identity politics. You know, that's right. he didn't have that term, but that's essentially what he was describing. So these are very, very interesting times mm -hmm. and, and, and rather unfortunate ones as well. Yeah. It, it's interesting you mentioned the children and a particular woman to whom you are close, um, very upset at what's going on and mm -hmm. responding politically. Yep. Uh, we, as I said, we have, uh, we have the, the blessing of limited government and popular government. And it's mm -hmm. limited because it's popular, mm -hmm. which, which gives us as citizens, uh, as human, as political human beings, the responsibility to be informed about politics and to influence our government. Uh, yeah. and, and our government has been doing things when government does things that upset people and usually it upsets them because it's bad for them. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they get up in arms. And so yeah. what we're seeing is like moms for liberty. I've been reading about recently. Mm -hmm. Um, these are just moms who love their children. Uh, they feel that they feel they find that politically approved groups are, and the government are coming after their children. And, and so they are getting involved. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And and that doesn't seem an unchristian thing to me, right? Uh, so right. It's, we were it's, it's responsible. Exactly. We were talking earlier on an earlier program, David. I, I spoke to a Muslim group recently uh, over in California uh, to a packed room of young Muslim mums and dads. 
concerned about exactly the same stuff. I mean, I made it very clear at the beginning, hey, we don't agree on a whole heap of theological stuff, but we have a common interest in the protection of children here. No argument from anybody mm -hmm. there. Young right. families very concerned about what is being done to to children in this country and particularly in california the the, the dramatic attempts to erode any kind of notion of parental rights built on biology rather than ideological yeah. function Th that, right. that's how that's how glenn youngkin became um governor yeah. of virginia this time yeah. it was all on that issue yeah yeah yeah, and we and we have in in a system of popular constitutional government, uh, you put some people in power and they get comfortable and they right. get corrupt, yeah, and they get and they overreach, mm -hmm. they they extend beyond their popular mandate, yeah. and at that point the the people uh, pull them back. Now, if you have popular government and you have people, which is God's gift for our good, God gives government for our good, uh, and. Uh, when you have uh, Christians in the population who know God, know what God loves, know what God wants for the good of the people, it's all the more incumbent upon them to be involved in that popular government right. and bring God's mind to government officials, government uh, representatives yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For, for, for the common good. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's important that, you know, I speak to this Muslim group because I think it's important to stand shoulder to shoulder with anybody who gets it. If I could put yeah. it that way, we may get it for different reasons. There may be mm -hmm. different foundations, why we're in, but bottom line is we stand, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with a Nat Hentoff on the abortion issue, for example, mm -hmm. an atheist. We stand shoulder to shoulder with people who get it because yeah. in this earthly city, we all have a common interest in common goods of which I think protection of the weak, of the innocent, of young children is something yeah. uh, that is is right at the top, if not at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you think about Jesus's words about those who would cause <clears throat> a little one to stumble. And of course, at that time, the immediate uh, application was not transgender surgery, surgical mm -hmm. mutilation, because it wouldn't have even yeah. been a category at that time. But if that doesn't qualify, I don't know what does. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. I, I, um, you know, uh, we, we don't have a one-to-one -one correspondence between what was happening in the first century during the apostolic era and what goes on in America today. So, you know, when we talk about giving due reverence and, and respect to our, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, civic leaders, you know, we, 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 we are, our, our top civic authority is actually a document. Uh, wouldn't you say, David? I mean, it's the constitution and our president is our employee. So, you know, we're not serving under a King that we would say is for better, or for worse, appointed by God. Um, uh, He's on a four-year contract and you can fire him. Exactly. Exactly. Our, <laughs> top, new age, I say. Right, our <laughs> top civil authority is a piece of paper. It's a document. It's yeah, the constitution yeah. that, that our president is supposed to serve. Um, our governors, uh, you know, our, all of our elected officials are supposed to serve and be faithful to that document. And so some of the ways that we talk about and apply uh, faithfulness and respect and honor to our civil authorities is going to look a little bit different than the way the apostles had to apply that, for instance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's called the rule of law. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you obey the executive branch, you know, the, yeah. but but what, only when they're acting under law. 
Yeah. Uh, you obey the laws that Congress passes or your state house, but um, but if it's unconstitutional, you're allowed to challenge it. Um, mm-hmm. So that that is all the yeah. So so obedience in a, in a constitutional republic is is more complex yeah. than um, under a liege lord. Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, Dave, before we before we wrap up, um, you're going to be a part of a uh, the, the Prince George's Conference on on Reform Theology. Uh, th- and this is the subject, the political Christian. Um, uh, tell us where and when that's happening. Uh, that's happening uh, September 29th and mm-hmm. 30th at um, Greenbelt Baptist Church mm-hmm. in Maryland, in Maryland. OK. And well, uh, and well, Jonathan Lehman is is the other speaker. Yes. Oh, main speaker. Good, John, good yes. guy. Mm-hmm. Good guy. Yeah. Yep. So, so our, our listeners are going to want to be paying attention to that. And we're going to put a link on that to our website so that if you're anywhere in that region, um, I'm quite sure that's going to be a very helpful um, event. Again, that's the the Prince George's Conference on Reform Theology. This is the subject, politics and, and, and the Christian. How do those things, you know, how do we understand our role in politics um again we'll have a link on that um a link to that on our um on our website and we would encourage you to go there um uh, mortificationofspin.org and if you go there you can get information on this conference that's coming up you can also enter to receive a free copy of one of david ennis's books it's called christ in the kingdom of men and we would encourage you to go there and to receive a copy of that. Also, if uh, if you've got a chance, uh, you can check out um, David Ennis on on Amazon. Uh, there's a couple of titles under his name. Um, I believe his most recent book is uh, is The Christian Citizen: Faith Engaging Political uh, Life. That's your newest title, isn't it, David? Yes, it's a series of political essays. Yeah. Okay, so so check him out on Amazon. Go to our our website to receive a copy of uh, of his book, uh, Christ in the Kingdom of Men. And yes, we do have winners uh, each time because I see you post on uh, on Facebook when you receive those free books, and so uh, you can do that. And while you're there, uh, if you'd like to make a contribution to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that as well. Um, but we're so thankful you took time to listen to us again. Thank you to our guest, David Ennis. And uh, we look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Mortification of Spin.